the cat dragged. (laughs) (laughs) It's only been 4,000 years. How are you getting on? I am good. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 12 of Back Row with myself, Neva Donahue, and herself, Ellen McDermott. Um, what have you missed? I've gotten Botox and filler. I've gotten a facelift and a BBL. And then I got rid of my BBL because I went out of trend. Yeah. And then, yeah. Got my BB, got your BBL put into me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really think I'm going to get a boob job. I have been down this road and I actually went as far as getting, as going to the consultation, having all the savings there, ready to fib to my dad and my brothers about why I mysteriously went away for a couple of days and came back with bigger boobs. Um, I just couldn't couldn't go ahead with it at the time. <laughs> why? What? Sorry, what was the mysterious story that you're going to tell them? Well, we, me and my mom were just like, oh, we'll just tell, we'll just tell them that we went off to a hotel for a few days and we'll, okay, okay. You, you'll, you'll wear baggy clothes for a few days kind of thing. I mean, but what, like, what, what, why did you chicken out? Like... I chickened out because I chickened out because, you know, I've been on this hashtag journey. I, I yeah. hate, I hate to, no, I've, I've been through, I've been through a lot with, with myself and I realized that I think I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I think I was doing it to validate other people and to not make me happy. Okay. And even though like I do look in the mirror from time to time and I'm like, oh, I would just love big fucking boobs and something to you know <laughs> knock around my neck wear it like a scarf but it's just I don't think it would suit me I think I'm I'm naturally very petite and kind of tomboyish and, and scrawny and having big boobs just wouldn't suit my my shaper and I know I know like when you go into a consultation like they te- they test the elasticity of your skin to see like can your chest actually support like larger than an A or larger than an egg. In my case, it didn't. <laughs> no, I'm I'm fine with her. Maybe I might come back to it in a few years, but like. So you think the boobs would wear you, you wouldn't wear the boobs? Yeah, I think it would look so weird. I think I would be walking around like, do you ever see like when a dog puts on shoes for the first time? Like they're kind of just like <laughs> lailing all over the face. Like, I think that would be me. What What's your thought process? Are you really serious about it? Like fully, fully, if I won the lotto, I'd be like, yeah, YOLO. Absolutely. And this has only come over me in the last like week. (laughs) So watch this face. (laughs) I don't know. It is cyclical though, isn't it? Like we see big boobs are in, then no boobs are in. Like, Sorry, can we talk about Kim Kardashian being literally, I can't, I cannot believe the recent photos of Kim Kardashian. She is so skinny. I'm like, girl, it's not healthy to drop that much weight that quickly. What the heck is going on? She did share an image on Insta the other day of like a scan of her BMI. And then I quickly fell down a TikTok rabbit hole with loads of physicians talking about how unrealistic it was to have that percentage of body fat to to lean muscle and that you have to realize this woman has every expert and professional at her fingertips in terms of like dietary requirements, like lifestyle, like she can do 10 workouts a day if she needs to and wants to, but like, that's not normal. It's not normal. No, 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 no. No. Real uh, bodies, real bodies have no tits and no asses. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Except I have a huge arse and no you've, boobs. <laughs> you've, you've won better than Kim K girl. Well, listen, yeah, catch me up. What's the buzz? Well, first of all, can you smell it in the air, Ellen? What? Pollution? (laughs) (laughs) Fashion month. It's in the air. It's in the air. It's coming back with a bang. And with it comes the infamous September issues. What's your favorite so far? Well, I mean, it was a... It was a bit of a shock to see the OG supermodel Linda Evangelista on the cover of British Vogue. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. But with all the controversy that's been happening in her life the last while, she kind of went into hiding for, what, nearly two decades? She didn't want to be seen outside of her house. She didn't want to be photographed. So this is really her, like, reckoning back into the fashion world. And I think it's it's very courageous to be on the cover of a tome like British Vogue, especially when... 
you know, all this, the news and controversy around um, what happened with her plastic surgery kind of like only ended a few weeks ago and she settled the deal uh, and she looked absolutely flawless. She was photographed by Stephen Mizell. The story itself, the cover story is amazing. And it's by Sarah Harris. And of course, it's styled by Edward Enidful. The whole thing just looks perfection. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a great cover. It's definitely one to to buy and keep for a while for sure it's one for the coffee table books definitely but I didn't even know she's 57 first of all and she look literally looks fantastic I'll just read out a small little bit from the piece uh, by Sarah Harris and she says even at 57 years old and even after the trauma of her much publicized ordeal with Zeltig cool sculpting a body contouring treatment Linda has a presence that could part an ocean the ultimate glamazon she was the most major super of them all always portrayed as the merciless one likely because of her brilliant demands and then she says in quotes it was Linda who quipped we don't wake up for less than ten thousand dollars a day <laughs> but also perhaps because her beauty was so exacting that it verged on intimidating those pale blue upward slanting feline eyes probably the most gorgeous nose of all time arched eyebrows a jawline of dreams that megawatt mouth a genetic accident that well looks like nothing was left to chance Add to it all an element of surprise. You never knew which Linda you were going to get. Brunette, platinum, blonde, searing copper, or today, brunette. I just love reading a, f- a feature like that that has so much color and, you know, really gets behind the, the face. It's powerful. My favorite, favorite photo of her of all time, which happens to be my favorite cover that I'm still looking for this magazine, is uh, the Fabian Baron Bazaar one where she's kind of like has her hand on her forehead and she's like lifting up the oh, A. Yeah. It's like the best photo of all time. Who shot that again? Oh, wasn't that Patrick Demarchier? I think. Yeah. And, yes, and yes. she has this like pixie crop with the curl just coming around her eye. Like absolute perfection. That skinny neck. Love. Like her profile. Oh, it's so beautiful. That's actually one of the rarest covers of the 90s. That's the magazine that I would absolutely give like a hand for. Like I want that so bad. I think we can make that happen without you losing a hand. Yeah. <laughs> kind of shout out to the current Harper's Bazaar. Uh, September is it September or October actually oh it's icon so it's September yeah so every September bazaar do like an icons issue they'll do like multiple um covers and they'll just select a few icons and then they have their Harper's Bazaar icon party and if you remember a couple of years ago back in 2018 there was an icons party and Cardi B threw her big pleaser heel at the head of Nicki Minaj and then scraps <laughs> And then uh, Glenda Bailey had her posing as Cinderella who lost her shoe with the ball on the September, March cover. That was one of my favorite issues of Bizarre, her as Cinderella. Absolutely. As well as kind of going off topic here, but Kendall, sorry, Kylie Jenner as Marie Antoinette. I actually loved that cover. And then what was the, was it OLUS who redid Adele? That was a funny one. Did you see it? Was this the one that just came out? I didn't like that at all. I just feel like because British Vogue did it last year, it feels like very repetitive. I feel like I've seen those images already, you know? I don't think they did her justice at all. Like I'm all about, listen, I've worked in a magazine. Everyone knows there's heavy retouching on every photo. Let's be real. It's like they literally didn't do anything anything to Adele. And Adele's a really, really nice girl, but lighting is lighting. Literally, you could be Bella Hadid yeah. and terrible lighting. Like, I'm like, that doesn't look like Adele. It does. Like Adele's probably, I'd be pissed off if I was Adele. And that was the cover. Do you know what comes to mind? What? The line from Miranda Priestley in Devil Wears Prada, she sent me dirty, tired and potty. <laughs> L- literally, because she does, she looks tired. She's like, I've... I don't want to be here. Yeah, it's it's bad news. Yeah, it's absolutely bad news. I'd be pissed off if I was Adele. <laughs> <laughs> and the, do you know, the styling wasn't like too great either. I think with the the fur kind of stole or fur jacket that they have on the cover, it's kind of giving me like oligarch vibes. It doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel warm and open like the the Adele that we saw in last year's British Vogue cover. And I just think it's hard to top that, isn't it? Absolutely hard to top that. Nobody can top British Vogue at the moment. They're slaying. Slaying. And I'm actually really <laughs> looking forward to reading Edward Annenfeld's debut book as well about his upbringing and how he established himself as a force to be reckoned with within the fashion industry as well. And definitely on my to read list. Is it already out? 
So the book is called A Visible Man and it is currently available on pre-order, I believe. Um, you can pretty much order it from Amazon or Penguin or wherever you get your books. And um, it's a beautiful cover. It's shot, I believe. Pavarotti shot, I think. Yeah. And for people who don't know, he's the guy that did the red Beyonce cover where she was on the horse. And uh, what other cover did he do that everyone loved? Uh, oh, he did the other Vogue cover where it was like, uh, was it like nine black models or black something? Models. On a, yeah, it was yeah. fantastic. It was literally one of the highlights of my year last year. It was so fucking beautiful. Yeah, that was like art. Yeah. But he, he knows how to shoot like black skin. He's, he's actually more of an artist than he is a photographer. Yeah. Like, I'm so impressed by him. Anything else on your radar? Obviously, everyone's talking about the Bella Hadid uh, podcast where she was on, you know, Noor's podcast. She's like a journalist, activist and model Muslim girl. She's a hijab girl we love. Uh, she had Bella Hadid on her latest podcast. It's literally blown up and gone viral. Basically, Bella's just talking about being vocal about Palestine and everything that has like all the results of her being vocal about Palestine, like not being invited around to friends dinners, like being cut from brands, this kind of thing. It's really, really interesting. And like Bella Hadid doesn't do interviews all that often. It's a rare occasion. So I would definitely recommend people listening to it. It's called Rep. I haven't listened to the full episode, but the clips that I did listen to were quite like empowering and inspiring to hear somebody who has so much influence and so much sway on the fashion industry. And here she has been like, I can't talk about something that I'm so passionate and something I live for because I'm afraid that I'm not going to get brand endorsements and deals anymore. She has so much political sway, even even if she is just a fashion model, you know, it, it's yeah. never just anymore. Like when you can reach that amount of audiences around the world, you know, they're your job and the weight on your shoulders becomes so much larger. Sometimes it's okay to just be like, what is happening in the world is fucking wrong. Please stop. I know. Yeah. I kind of want the first flight off this planet soon. Like I just, I just kind of can't anymore. Would Would you go on a one-way ticket to like Mars? No, actually, realistically, no, I have a fear of like the deep being in the deep, deep ocean and then also being in space. So no, I ha- happily like gravity and my feet on the ground. That's, that's a happy place for me. Um, if there was oxygen up there and gravity absolutely kept me in. <laughs> have you ever seen that meme? And it's like someone took a picture of like, like a field and it's like, we made Wi-Fi out of this. <laughs> like, it's literally just like, what the heck? Like, I actually can't. Like, there's, what was on this earth before Wi-Fi? I like, know, what did before- we do? I know. How did we make Wi-Fi from a couple of sticks? <laughs> So this week marks the last episode of season one of Back Row. And seeing as we're gearing up for Fashion Month, we thought it was very appropriate to invite one of the most fashionable Irish editors in New York to give us the tea on how she's getting ready for Fashion Month. Plus, she shares loads of advice for how you can get your start in the fashion industry as well. When it comes to working in fashion, especially in New York, getting into the industry can be very difficult. Where do you start? How do you get a visa? Is it all about like who you know rather than what you know. Well, we have Freya Drowen here, journalist and executive fashion director at the Daily Front Row to help us answer some of these questions and give us a flavor of what it's like to work in one of America's biggest fashion titles. Hi, Freya. (laughs) Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Frey, let's just jump straight in. You have an incredible career so far. You started off your journey back in Ireland, but did you always want to work in fashion? And what was that hashtag journey like for you? <laughs> I can't believe I just said hashtag journey. So. I always wanted to work in fashion, like great injustice of the world that I wasn't able to draw because I would have loved, loved, loved to be a designer. Um, grew up in a very creative household. So something like fashion was always like very encouraged. Um, but again, I didn't know how to draw. And, you know, back then, I guess there wasn't really the understanding that like you could have this kind of trajectory where you could go to a magazine. I mean, of course, there's magazines in Ireland, but I guess it just the penny never really dropped. And it took quite a while for me to go, oh, well, I love English. I love fashion. I love history. Like, why not put all those things together? 
Um, and always knew I wanted to go to New York, like really did. When I look back, even like 12, 13 years old, I had no context whatsoever as to what that was. So I started off in Dublin and I was at the independent for a year and a half and was very lucky to be able to get the grad visa back when you didn't need to prove a job to get there. I don't know if it's okay. Yeah. So I like, you know, was able to kind of wing it and I moved here literally just with the grad visa, no connections, nothing like no plan. Still not really plan in place, but um, moved here in 2015. So almost seven years, like come the end of the year, it was seven years. And yeah, it takes a while, like you're saying in your intro, like really competitive, hard with the visas, but, you know, just get the foot in the door. That's what I always say. And like, just show you can work and then, you know, it'll take off. So how did you get your foot in the door, so to speak? And did you have to almost like start again, like from the bottom of the barrel? hundred percent. And that was the thing that was really hard because I felt like, you know, I was 23 when I moved here, which feels young now, but it didn't feel like young at the time. And I had like really worked so hard for all the years I was in college. Um, When you do journalism in in DC, which is where I went, the hours are very little. So I had, you know, built up somewhat of a portfolio. I was like really involved in all the extracurricular stuff in college. I was like on the college paper doing the lifestyle section. I was at the fashion magazine, styling the shoots. I like ran the style society in DCU. And then that like kind of parlayed nicely into getting my job in the independent. I was there for a year and a half. And then I moved to New York and they're like, Irish independent, like Dublin City University. Like, okay, great. But what does this mean? And that, to be honest, is very hard because, you know, your experience on paper doesn't necessarily translate. But again, once you get in front of people, they're like, oh, she can work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can be hard, you know, having that, you know, initial stage where you're like, okay, how do I get, you know, these recognizable names on my resume? And Mm -hmm. to be honest, like that was a lot of doing it for free and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing, I guess, like internships when I was 25 when I didn't think I'd be doing an internship. You know, you think, I thought when I was younger, I was like 25, I'll have a house and kids. And (laughs) I'm like waitressing and interning in New York. But, you know, I think if that's what you want, you just have to apply yourself. Um, And it, it can be hard because you're in an industry where, I guess a lot of people have maybe had help from their family. As you know, these jobs, especially at the beginning, they don't pay well. So mm-hmm. I think, again, knowing what you want, I knew it was what I wanted. So I waitressed and I did a lot of freelance stuff that I had very little interest in. Um, and, you know, that initial, like that, I guess, like paves the way and you do jobs that you don't want to do to kind of, you know, take on the ones that are less paid or maybe take 70 days to get paid um, all with kind of the end goal in mind. Absolutely. I so, I so relate to that so much. Like when I moved over, I was like, I was in Image Magazine and I remember sitting in Image Magazine being like, I'm only two weeks out from moving to New York. Like, oh my God, I'm going to get there. I'm going to work for GQ Magazine, like this kind of thing. And then everyone's like, so like, what's the buzz? Like you're in New York. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm a host in a restaurant restaurant and like but I always had that goal so I like fully get what you're saying like you have to like hustle a bit at the start like you're not going to change country and then straight off the bat like it's the people who are hungry for it that will get that goal it's the people who think oh I'll just like go like surely these things will come to me easily it's very very competitive fashion publishing in New York and I was only thinking about that this the other day wow being a waitress in New York like especially you know when you're young and you have the energy to do like 14 hour days on your feet Mm-hmm. a good like rite of passage because you get to, you're speaking to people you're thrown in the deep end you are actually like immersed in the culture of New York which like honestly takes about five years to get your head around exactly I know I fully I fully get that yeah so fortunately both fortunately and unfortunately <laughs> myself and Neve know exactly how you feel because we've both worked in fashion publications bizarre and vogue and we basically how have you found that tr- transition like obviously it's it, it's so different like I, I when I worked in Image magazine which is technically a fashion publication magazine and then I worked for Harper's Bazaar I was like I feel like I'm on a different planet it's just so different but how have you found working for a fashion publication in New York just in general and again this is a safe space like you can vent like we know how you feel <laughs> You know what? I actually don't think it's worlds apart. Really? Yeah. But this is from the perspective of like an independent magazine. I think if I went into somewhere like, you know, uh, somewhere in Condé or somewhere in Hearst, I'd be like, what What are all these people doing? 
Um, right. We're like a 20 year old magazine. It's so scrappy. Everyone wears so many hats. And that to me feels like kind of what I experienced in Ireland that it's this big output. But meanwhile, it's like just a bunch of people like honestly wearing as many hats as possible. Uh, but definitely I think the industry as a whole is both huge but also tiny again which feels like Ireland that it's I always say like a Venn diagram it's kind of similar in parts and like right now I'm in the Hamptons we only publish in the Hamptons in the summer and it's kind of like just the city transported right and again once you get into it you're like oh okay this is actually quite manageable and it's the same people and it's about relationships as it is in any industry in any country but to me it felt so overwhelming and so daunting for years but then when you're in it you're like oh okay like it's the same people all the time and these days you know especially in print media is wearing so many hats so it is not like what you saw you know back in the day and these like tv shows and movies about like running down hallways and heels <laughs> but these days it feels so much more scrappy absolutely agree with that yeah would you still like recommend people to go into the print industry or if somebody came up to you be like i really want to work in print magazines would you encourage them to maybe go down a different route as a long-term career or do you still think there's a lot left in the print industry definitely think there's a lot left in the print industry but at the end of the day you need to be a very multifaceted journalist so like at the daily I do our digital I do our social you know um, and of course you for other people but we do print I style the shoots you know you have to be able to just I guess have this foundation of many hats like I feel like I say that all the time but being able to apply your taste your knowledge your references your tone of voice your point of view being able to apply that to lots of different things be it styling be it writing be it a social media caption be it a deck you know because again the industry has changed so much and it's evolving every single day you don't know if there's going to be a new platform next week that's going to you know entirely like throw us all off kilter again Mm -hmm. but you know foundational skills as an editor and I think people can throw that title around so easy you know you're an editor of your blog or you're an editor at large or you know but what is it to edit and to understand and to take this huge industry and like boil it down to concepts and things you can apply to print and things you can apply to digital because it all kind of has to relate so if you see a trend on the runway what does that mean? What does it mean for, you know, the average Jane Smith? What does it mean for the industry? What does it mean for a celebrity? You know, that I think you don't really necessarily have to say, I only want to do print. If you do, I think you'll find that tough. (laughs) You know, if you get into this line of work, of course, it's good to have a specialty, but a lot of publications are small and they're sharing staff. So you kind of just need to be able to apply what you know to multiple different roles. But I do to go back to your initial point, think that there's like a really exciting future for print. I'm thrilled to hear this because I I'm a print gal till I die. Like I used to say, I'm going down with the ship. Like I don't care if one person's buying this magazine, I'll still like be a print designer because there's something about having like a physical uh, product at the end of each month. But this is the thing. It's like big when you're talking about like Condé and Hearst versus independent magazines, independent magazines are so on the rise at the moment they're surpassing any like even if you picked up a Condé magazine or a Hearst magazine versus an independent magazine down to the quality of paper and the thickness it's you can just straight off the bat you know one like independent magazines are doing way better than um, the Condé and Hearst magazines so it's a really exciting time for independent magazines because me and Neve used to talk about independent journalism and that kind of thing people really having a voice and they don't have to like answer to these like top dogs you know really honestly nothing about fashion because they're all six-year-old white men and that kind of thing. So it's, it is, I so agree with you. It's such a really interesting time for uh, independent publications, for sure. Yeah, I was in Casa magazines the other day and I thought of you because I know you love. <laughs> Scatter my ashes there. Scatter my ashes there. Oh. Um, it's a magazine store in the West Village. And if you go in there, you're like, whoa, it's honestly just like, basically it's a room just full of magazines. Like there's not really anywhere to walk. And you're thinking, this is what lasts, you know, this will mm-hmm. be what we look to in 10 years and 15 years and 20 years. And it's not going to be like a printout of someone's Instagram. Post. Like this is what's recording the time. This is what matters. A lot of like the independent ones, the niche ones, I think having a niche is very important for surviving in print. And I know what these magazines operate on in terms of a budget. And I know what influencers make per post. And I'm like, to brands, I just wish they knew, you know, 
funnel that 30k into that magazine instead of this influencer's trip because that's what in years to come that's what a fashion student will have like tacked on a board as a reference point again it's not like a screenshot of someone's story this is so true oh my god we were only talking about this the other day about like the cover of a magazine now and how truth be told a lot of the covers make the cover because they're appeased the the editors are appeasing advertisers Whereas you don't mm-hmm. see that as much maybe in those independent zines, but obviously then you have budget constraints and it's just, it's really interesting. I think from a public perspective of how that whole Versace look gets onto the cover and is it just to do with the relationship between the editor in chief and um, the advertiser, you know, how does that kind of work? These days more so it's almost a celebrity. So just say you have Dakota Johnson, she's, you know, intrinsic with Gucci now or someone who's a Vuitton ambassador, like, you know, and even I guess some that's as well where you get like stylists are now becoming editors at large because their celebrities are so reliant on them and their vision. They're like, well, sure, I'll be an alert, but my stylist is going to style me, not your fashion director. So again, it, right. I think like those relationships are so, I guess, ironclad, where, whereas before they weren't as much. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's that's where it becomes a bit of a struggle because you know to rely on a big brand for their budget then you kind of have to wear a lot of their stuff and that's why I'm like I wish more car brands liquor brands beauty brands because honestly that's what has the money it's not necessarily fashion fashion is like monopoly money but I wish they would think oh like you know sponsor this magazine's issue and therefore there's no you know they kind of have full creative control but we will you know support them and we'll support print I just I think for print to survive and I'm passionate that it will because it's luxury to see something in print mm-hmm. but I think brands need to definitely support more I know and you can see where brands are coming from as well because they're probably thinking holy shit there's this new thing called the fashion metaverse well I'm hardly going to put my money in print like and for the likes of like for me anyway I just my brain can't understand the fashion metaverse no matter how many people that have come on this podcast to try and explain this I'm literally and also leave works in the fashion metaverse but I'm just such a print till I die person that I'm like I want to be able to bleed and wear my clothes like you know, we just went through how many seasons of Digital Fashion Week. Everyone was pulling their hair out. It's not the same. You cannot replicate. And I've worked in fashion tech in New York, and it's so hard to translate like the feeling of seeing something, seeing it move. You just cannot get that on the screen. It makes me sleep easier at night, and I'm like, okay, tech isn't taking my job. Robots cannot write yet. On that note, um, I read a recent study about what well, we all everybody in this room knows how competitive the industry is to crack. Um, But a recent study came out by the National Council for Training of Journalism. And what it said was that journalists now are almost twice as likely to come from advantaged backgrounds, you know, given your background, what can publishers do, do you think, to kind of like level the playing field and to support and encourage people from working class or lower income communities to actually get into journalism, especially like fashion journalism? Yeah, I, I did read that too. I think there was an article on Days or ID or one of those websites and I read it and unfortunately I was like, yeah, that sounds about right, you know, based on what experienced in New York. And again, it's an expensive city. So this is, you know, applying particularly to this city and this quite elite industry, if you will. Um, there's a lot of, you know, diversity initiatives. There's a lot more inclusivity. Um, I think people are more willing to mentor, especially after COVID, you know, those perspectives shifted and people want to just be more aware of the world they're moving in. Um, so I think, you know, if you're in a bigger um corporation like Hearst or Condé Nast or anywhere like that, see what programs there are and get involved in them. Um, if you're at, you know, more of an independent magazine like me, if someone reaches out and they have questions, like give them time. Honestly, it's time. Just like reply to people, answer questions because, um, you know, that TikTok term gatekeeping, I feel like there can be so much of that. But, you know, if you're not helping people, I think, mm. that, you know, it's only going to inhibit you in the future as well. So give people your time, give people your knowledge, you know, be a human being in the world. Absolutely. I love yeah. That. You just, you just got to blast out those emails to people. Like I was yeah. the exact same when I went to New York same. and it's the, the same. I always think about what you just said. If I ter- was to read back on the emails that I sent people back in 2016 or whenever, it was, yeah, 2016, I would be cringing. So that's when anytime I get an email from someone, I will like sit down. Sometimes I'll get on a Zoom call and be like, listen, st- 
steer you in the right direction, this kind of thing. One thing like, um, I wish I knew, ask specific questions. Someone's like, yeah, I'm just a piece of string. Like, what do you want to know? Like, what are you interested in? What's your background? If you're reaching out to someone be like, Hey, whenever you have time, can you answer these like four questions? I'm really like, I, I really would love to know the answer to this. And that person will be like, Oh, they can ride it on the train. They can ride it on the subway. Instead of saying, I want to move to New York. Like how, you know, be specific be respectful of someone's time and thank them so many times i respond to people with advice and like never hear from them again and you're just like well more fool me <laughs> yeah you're more likely to reply with a more specific email yeah i fully i fully agree with that the only reason why i got my job my bizarre gig was because of because i blasted out so many emails basically the only reason why i got this job is because i met with a soccer magazine imagine me working in a soccer magazine like football soccer and i was like so at my wits end i was like oh my god i came to New York to work in publishing and I'm a host in a restaurant and I eventually met with the soccer magazine they were like we have no space but we know someone else and then it was a trickle effect and then yeah so it's all about like take every single opportunity it's all about blasting out those emails yeah and apply yourself to every situation you know like mm pick and choose when you'll turn it on. Like you really have to be open. You have to be professional in every single situation because you never know what can lead to what can lead to what. Absolutely. I rang Ellen before we jumped on this call and I was like, I bet you anything, Frey's going to be wearing the nicest dress I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> you know what? I plan so specifically that if I know I have four events, I bring four dresses. So this is what I was wearing last night. I like don't think outside that. So I didn't bring anything to wear in like downtime. <laughs> so I, it's so good. Like when I think of your Instagram, I literally just, I just think of like decadence, like such a great like approach to your personal style. How, how would you describe it? Oh God. Um, I mean, I love a dress. So that really is like the foundation of everything always have. Um, and yeah, I think it just, I have to have an emotional connection with something. I'm really not like trend driven. Like I have to see something, mm. oh, I need to have it. And I really have to narrow down because I have like 300 dresses, but it has stop. Do you actually? I do. And my friend, as I said, my friend is staying with me and I'm like, before you go, can you please like reinforce the metal bar in my wardrobe? Cause I just, it's like this, it slopes and I can just envision them like falling in the middle of the night and the neighbor downstairs is going to have like an absolute conniption. There'll be like 300 frocks, like, you know, pounding down her roof. But Oh my God. I'm going to pray if you ever need anybody to take them <laughs> off your hands. Is there a dress that you wouldn't be able to part with that you've had for ages and it holds like incredible sentimental value? Honestly, a lot of them, like I really feel so attached to them. And I was like, well, you know what? This is it. It's like me and the dog and the dresses. Like I have, I have no house. I have no mortgage. I kind of have like my work and my dresses and my dog. So a lot of them. And I really feel, you know, when I put them on, I always think of the time I last wore it. Mm. And there's memories. I'm like, good memories, bad memories. You know, seven years in New York, there's lots of bad. Good. <laughs> it's like my collection. I guess some people have stamps or coins or whatever it may be. And I have like my dresses. Is there any three items that you just absolutely couldn't live without just in general? Definitely my dresses, but I don't know how I'd narrow it down but definitely definitely the dresses um and then I would say so I have also like an insane collection of like um like beaded and embellished handbags oh cool yeah that like stem back from when I was obsessed with like accessorize on Grafton mm. Street like I moved here with just two suitcases if I had to move home I don't even know like there'd have to be two trucks like I have a lot of stuff mm. um but I have all these bags that I didn't really use at the time, but now I wear them every week. It's so funny. And I remember moving here with two suitcases and my mom was like, really, that's what you're prioritizing? These like feathered handbags. I was like, no, trust, trust me. Like they're essential. <laughs> I have like a lot of, I would say like, yeah, little on like clutches, like be it vintage or um, kind of everything with Paco Rabanne is so rooted in like that chainmail and disc. I have one of the, the handbags and that is probably my favorite one. But Amazing. Oh, is that like the, is that the 1969 one? Yeah. So that any, any kind of embellished bags, especially the Packer Band one. And then I love like a chunky, ugly dad tourist sandal. Oh, okay. Very like weird things to put together, but that's kind of like the nuts and bolts of my style. Like dress, embellished bag, ugly shit. Yeah, I have the ugliest sandals on ever. Like I have ugly, ugly Tevas on, but they're the comfiest thing in the world. Yeah, and like New York, you're basing on your feet all day every day. So I have lots of like lovely, you know, vintage shoes, but like I can't wear them on the subway. You need like a yeah. sandal, like ready to go. 
I actually ended up investing in because I love Tevas and I ended up investing mm-hmm. in uh, you know, the Prada Tevas, like they're essentially Tevas, whatever. And I was fucking socks and sandals is so my vibe. But is there anything? So we have this new thing and it's very cringe, but we say, is there anything that you're fashion week for at the moment? So is there any kind of like item that you're having in your basket that you really want at the moment? There is. And you know what? People are always like roll their eyes and I say that, but I actually don't really shop. <laughs> like I really don't I just kind of accumulate things and again it's like a very nice part of being in this industry that you you know especially if it's like a new collection or something like you'll you'll get something but when it comes to shopping I guess maybe because I have a lot and I'm just surrounded by like clothes all day every day and thinking about clothes and thinking about fashion like I don't really buy a lot and like I, don't, I definitely don't go like shopping as an activity one that I'm so obsessed with I'm like honestly these things like keep me awake at night and like borrowing from Peter to pay back Paul like figuring out okay how can I buy this but a new one I love is called Day Femmes it's D-E-S-P-H-M-M-E-S so it's on Moda I think they're exclusive to Moda and they're going to be on Intermix soon but it's just like Lula's like beaded and embellished stuff it almost like gives the Paco Rabanne 1969 mm. look but mm. that's like definitely on my wish list and then if I treat myself, which, you know, when do we not treat ourselves really at the end of the day? But if I treat myself maybe like around Christmas or if I get my green card or something like that, I have always wanted a like Fendi baguette, but like full embellished one. Yes, absolutely. You prove love. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, why don't I have a house? Oh, this is the way. I'm honestly like the old woman who lived in her dresses. Like that's just me. (laughs) So what has been like your career high to date? Enjoy getting back into styling. I so I have two shoots coming out for our August issue um, and our September one, like that'll come out at Fashion Week, and that one is like really special to me. It's basically my first one. I just never said anything. They were like, "Okay, we're going to do this shoot, like this, like really big names." So I was like, "Okay," mm-hmm. and I was on the Aer Lingus flight. I'd gone home for the first time in two and a half years, and I was like, "Oh crap!" I have like basically my first shoot ever, and I needed eight looks for him and for her had never styled a guy. Um, and the last time I'd styled a girl was my sister for the Irish independent in 2014. But I was like, they don't need to know that. So I was like frantic on the Aer Lingus flight, like emailing every brand I knew. And then, you know, in three days it came together, came to life and I've seen like the proofs and I just, I can't wait to see it in print. Like I'm really, really excited about oh that. Oh my God. I need to get a print issue this- of that. I need to get a print issue of that. It goes back to what I was saying, like just, learn everything you can and be prepared because eventually the opportunity will present itself and like how do you transfer what you know from like styling my sister and Deb's dress <laughs> we're very like realists here on back row we need to know what your like some of your low points were so, yeah. I- <laughs> so when I moved here again nothing mattered like basically may as well have like torn up my resume it didn't translate whatsoever waitress um I worked at Made Fashion Week for like two seasons I interned there and that was like a really good way to just kind of get my head around the industry so that was uh, an incubator it's actually just come back but had about 30 brands and I worked all those shows and I was like okay this this is a different beast like you're like not in Kansas anymore um honestly it took about a year from when I moved to when I like got a full-time paid job um and that was at an app that was when I was more in like fashion tech and that was great and then I got made redundant after like I'd say nine months or something, they just pulled a plug on it. And then it was so hard again because, you know, my experience in Ireland was writing, but then I'd been at this app and I'd been at these fashion shows. So I had no like tangible work to really show for it. Um, that was like a long period then. And that's gone back to 2016, I think, of like doing the work for free. Like I said, interning at 25 when I didn't think I'd be interning, say, like trying to get informational meetings, sending out all those emails. And, you know, it's it's funny because everything is cyclical and it comes back and you meet those people now and you're kind of like, they have no idea that that was me that emailed them all those, you know, years ago. And you remember who was kind and you remember who gave you their time. Um, but from like... 2016 to 2020, <laughs> 2019 maybe was very loosey goosey. Was very just like, okay, throw enough mud, something is going to stick. And I actually applied for my like original job that I went into the daily front row with in summer 2019, the day I was starting at a job that for me was like, this is the last thing I want to do, but it's paid. Um, you know, and it's going to like give me at least a bottom line so I can freelance for places that at Hearst and, you know, unfortunately they don't really take you if you're on a visa, but it's funny to me that I applied for that job the day I got into a job that I didn't like. I was in that job for six months. I started another job 
And then eventually about nine months later, I got the daily. So it's like, you know, just stick with it. I always say that like, no, not even the angle, but just know that there's a goal there and just throw everything at it and just figure it out. But so many low points, I don't even think I could think of one. <laughs> oh my God. I love that you're so real about it as well. You can't sugarcoat it. Like I saw one of your tweets there the other day and it was like, I have it on front of me and it was like, some of the things that oh, you've yeah. done just to save some extra money. So you've written for sausage brands, <laughs> like men's grooming, Pilates studio, like you have, you're a grafter. And I think that comes across in like pretty much every part of your life. Well, you know what? Irish people are like intrinsically in our bones. We want to work and, you know, we want to just have a good life and have fun and work hard. Like that's all we really want, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. One of one of the main things I think I love about you is that despite having this like huge, big baller fashion job and a fucking amazing closet, now that I know you've 300 <laughs> plus dresses, you're so down to earth. And like, I'll see you like in Brooklyn having pints at the weekend kind of thing, which is so not a fashion gal. Like it's so the juxtaposition there is crazy. I mean, I was kind of the same as well, but I think in in the fashion industry in New York, like the, it skews your understanding of reality, especially when you're you get bigger and bigger in your career. Do you think it's the Irish frame of mind that kind of keeps you grounded a bit and like doesn't like I know for me anyway, it definitely kept me grounded. And I just loved that juxtaposition. Yeah, a million percent. And I think, you know, you're we also have like an innate cynicism and we're able to see like the humor in everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said on that shoot when she's like, you don't have the underwear and this girl's like panicking. And my uh, one of my best friends was also assistant styling on the shoot. And she's like, can she have second wear her own underwear? And I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just have to look at everything being like this isn't life or death you know and I think like appreciate it and respect it but also be like this is kind of wild um and again like we only publish in the Hamptons in the summer and I'm kind of going this is bananas um you know and I think being able to separate yourself and who you are as a person from it um but again always like being respectful of it and you know seeing it as the amazing opportunity it is but being kind of like but I you know I go home and I like you know have my family and my friends and I, I have my own world outside this if it was all taken away in the morning which it could be and I've had that happen before where you're made redundant and you're like now what like never just attach all your value to like what you do and like it's also you know the Irish in us it's like a carnal sin is it carnal sin cardinal sin yeah sin yeah that you know thinking like you know you'd be horrified to think anyone says oh she loves herself or she's like up herself it's like call me a bitch but don't say that absolutely you never want to be the one that's drinking the kool-aid like you want to be like separate keep your life separate yeah honestly make me cringe if I think about other people I'm like that's so embarrassing like I would never want anyone to think that yeah I do think it's an Irish thing but yeah it is good to have a strong community of Irish people when you're in New York though because it is a crazy place and I know what you mean exactly when you say like just New York I always say like two weeks in New York is like two days. Like it's just, you're like a hamster on your wheel. You're go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah. I know it it is like, I don't know. Time moves very differently. Like the pace here is so exhausting that I've been here seven years. I've said, but it also feels like I've been here my entire life, like working every day of my entire life. Um, But yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's the Irish people here that have kept me here because a lot of those lows and, you know, it's not to say I won't have like a low next week or all the time, be it like personal professional. And it's like, who do you call when? Mm-hmm. And you know, at the end of the day, like they just get it. <laughs> I always used to say, it's like quite hard to meet Americans here. Cause you just, you see an Irish people and you're like, wait, where are you from? And you just gravitate towards them and like, they're your best friend then for the next few years. Yeah. I fully agree with that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think no matter where you go in the world, you'll always, be in some dingy pub and you'll find your soulmate in a bathroom and she happens to be your second cousin (laughs) so we're obviously we're in a bit of a silly season now August everybody shuts down everybody goes to the Mediterranean or wherever we go um how are you prepping for fashion month I know like you're saying everyone's away I'm like wait when is my summer is kind of like October for us like summer is 
crazy. Like summer for us is kind of Q4. Um, so we, we pivot to the Hamptons. We go to print every three weeks. It's bonkers. Um, and we do a lot of events and there's just like no downtime whatsoever. Um, so for me, I'm kind of just in that mode right now. I'm like, we're on the third of, we go to print on Monday and then we've like our Labor Day issue and then we'll go straight into our Fashion Week issue kind of in, in tandem we, because we're an independent magazine. We like work really close to ship dates. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm like still in summer mode, like focusing on those issues, getting them out. Um, and then, yeah, Fashion Week. So we do this huge awards, um, Fashion Media Awards every September. We do a Fashion Los Angeles Awards in the spring in Hollywood. And then we do this. So that'll be a huge focus as well. The names are always amazing. Um, and then we will do an issue tied to that. So with it being an independent publication, it's a free publication as well. Events for us are massive. So we have that coming up. And then I'm like, oh my God, also shows. Yeah. Like you have to physically be in places, you know, it's like, you wish you could just be doing three things at once. So there's, uh, there's honestly like no prep because every day you're just like, what has to be done today? And like, what can I get to? Like, how can I overextend myself today and like get these issues together and then you're like okay now it's actually fashion week today yeah okay let's just go with this and then as our owner says October November will like rest <laughs> do you become like desensitized to it all or just do brands like and designers still excite you like like how they did at the start a million percent every time like it's honestly one of my favorite things in the entire world like I like drink it in. I try and not be on my phone. You know, what's on the runway is important, but it's who's there. What are they wearing? What's exciting them? Like seeing people's reactions when like certain things go by. Um, always put Shazam on. Cause like there's the best music at fashion week. It's just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. Whether it's like the first row or the third row or whatever it is. <laughs> or the like, back row. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. The, the third row, usually the back row. My boss is always like, what's the point? I'm like, Hey, it matters. It counts. Like I'm still in the room. I know. Um, going from being like an intern at those 30 shows. And so the daily front row, um, for people at home for context is the magazine that you get at fashion week. So if you like look at any, you know, media about fashion week, be it like sex and city or gossip girl, whenever they go to fashion week, they have the daily front row. So that was my kind of reference point and being a, an intern and like getting it handed to me. And I, at the time used to live in the Bronx, like in a one bedroom apartment with two other girls, like classic. And I would read this magazine on my 90 minute commute home, like at the end of the shows. And I was just like, how, 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 how do I get a job at a magazine, let alone this magazine? So then we kind of at the other side of it. And again, it takes a long time, but to actually then work at the magazine is very surreal. And I never, ever, ever like don't appreciate that. Oh, I got chills. <laughs> I'm such a sap. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love full full circle moments yeah. like this, though. Even if it's like not a circle, it's you know I don't know an octagon. <laughs> Is there anybody that like you're really keeping an eye out for now for this coming season, designer wise or brands or just cool fashion people that we might not know about yet? Well, Tommy Hilfiger is coming back, so that's exciting. Um, he's going to do a huge thing in Brooklyn that's like half metaverse. That, you know, again, we don't really know what that entails, but half metaverse, half physical. He hasn't shown in three years, so that'll be exciting. Um, and, you know, it is those kind of all-American brands that get, like, incredible front rows. And I always love to see that, like, the front row and then the, like, iconic editors beside them. That, to me, I'm always, like, looking at them and not necessarily the celebrities. Um, Sandy and Mark Jacobs are going to do a show, which will obviously be amazing. Um, I think Marnie is showing in New York. And that to me feels really cool that designers are just like, fuck it. Like, we'll go to Paris or like, we're going to show here. You know, it's like really revivals post-COVID. It's based like totally in experiences. And well, I think like ensure the survival of Fashion Week that it's going to be like different every time. Um, and then in terms of newer names, I think I really like what Peter Doe is doing. Mm. There's so much new talent um, coming up, which again is like really exciting to see. And, and that's the future. And it's great to get in and see these brands early and kind of have that like, well, I was there when it was in like, you know, <laughs> apartment. Like that's really exciting. And, and again, like, you know, we want to see New York Fashion Week continue because it's an incredible platform. Mm. So that's going to be really fun this season. It's just like, oh, who's doing what? Like, let's just, you know, throw everything at it. 
Well, Frey, we've taken up so much of your time already and we know you have to get back to your fabulous life in the Hamptons. We just want to say thank you again for taking the time to speak with us at Back Row and we cannot wait to see what you end up doing and wearing, more importantly, for Fashion Month. Oh no, you're so good. Thank you. And can I throw out a shameless plug? Absolutely. Always. If people could follow the daily, I'd be so appreciative, especially people in Ireland. I would love like if people followed it. And again, we have like our fashion media words and stuff coming up um, and stay front row. And I run the Instagram account too. So I'd love if people followed it. Amazing. We'll put it on our own Instagram and in our Spotify bio and the whole thing. The whole kit and caboodle. Thanks so much, Freya. Oh, thank you for thinking of me. It was so much fun. See you soon. Bye. Bye. I want to be a frock in Freya Drone's wardrobe when I come back. Oh, absolutely. But I'm coming back as her dog. 100%. I'm I'm done being a human. That dog lives the life. Absolutely, yeah. Speaking of, did you see Carl Lagerfeld's beloved cat, Choupette, turned 11 the other day? If you're not following at uh, official Choupette on Instagram, I don't know where you're doing. <laughs> but they threw the cat a party on Carl's private jet. Wow. What are we doing wrong? That is, that is hashtag living there. Uh, so Ellen, what is your fashion week this week? My favorite Instagram account of all time at every lesbian and their fashion literally is where you will get all your fashion inspo. It has Sarah Paulson. It has straight girls as well. Angelina Jolie. I don't even know if she's straight, but yeah, it's just like every like well-dressed woman, like women in suits, everything is so good. Definitely go on. Definitely get your uh, fashion inspo from there. A lot of Zoe Kravitz. It's it's the best Instagram account of all time. Lesbian chic. Let's be real. Like, we love an oversized blazer. We love an oversized blazer. So are you basically just like saving these looks and recreating them, or are they just are they just like I mean, kind of? But like, I already kind of dress like that anyway. I mean, when I'm not in leggings and a hoodie, but yeah, basically it's just, it's the best Instagram account of all time. Willa Bennett posted a couple of months ago and I've been hooked ever since. Willa Bennett, who is the editor-in-chief of High Snobiety, is my absolute girl crush. Like her style, bury me in anything that Willa Bennett wears. Absolutely. Hands in. What about you? What's on your radar this week? I want to give a shout out to a fabulous Irish designer called Sharon Sweeney. She is from gorgeous little lovely Leitrim, which is just a pinhole in the map of Ireland and she is a master at tailoring she's really early in her craft but she's already creating like the most amazing asymmetrical suits I had the pleasure of meeting her in real life the other week and tried on one of her pieces and oh my god it's just they're sensational and she's also just a really really nice person like yeah she is she's the salt of the earth like literally and um, she creates all of her pieces by hand using Irish sourced linen and even down to like all the minute details she takes it into account she works with a ceramic artist to create like custom buttons for the suits even they're really special pieces she also creates gorgeous tote bags as well from like off cuts of curtains and different types of like heavy material that she comes across really beautiful stuff her Instagram is at Sharon Sweeney Design and would definitely recommend checking her out and supporting her if and when you can so yeah that's us I can't believe we're closing season one of Back Row Podcast we have had so much fun and honestly can't thank everyone enough for listening and supporting and getting involved in the show yeah it's been absolutely great just the conversations are so good I can't even pick a favorite episode it's just it's it's been really enjoyable overall yeah I couldn't pick a favorite one either but I know I definitely learned a lot along the way and I hope our listeners did too and I'm really excited for season two which is gonna come soon soon (laughs) we'll be back soon all right thanks so much guys and speak to you later bye Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>